And Dennis Bernstein, we have, uh, for quite some time now, we have been doing this this show where the two of us are in different locations, but today we happen to be kind of further apart than the normal. So where are you, Dennis? Yeah, it's not the normal 30, 30 miles apart. I am in, and I'm going to break your heart, John. I'm at the Hard Rock Casino and Hotel oh, you in are. State Line, Nevada for uh, tomorrow's Lake Tahoe game. The outdoor game, uh, I'm actually here for both games. Uh, Dave Fanyota was supposed to come, but you know, with the, with the travel restrictions, you know, it's funny. Dave, if he came to the States, would have to go back and stay three nights in a hotel in Canada on his own dime and then quarantine for 14 days. It's that crazy. So he deferred. So I'm up in Lake Tahoe for the games. It's uh, beautiful up here, a little bit windy this afternoon. So hopefully it'll die down. It's supposed to snow a little bit overnight. But yeah, I'm, I know you're a big hard rock guy. Mayor, so uh, I'm going to break your heart a little bit. So I'm, I'm live and in live and living color from the Hard Rock. Well, you are breaking my heart. There is no other hotel that I would rather stay at. Obviously, they closed the the Hard Rock in Las Vegas, which is terrible. Although I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day, um, the Virgin Hotel there in Las Vegas that's set yeah. to open in a month or so. They have a room called the Manor Room. So they're doing everything <laughs> they can. They're, they're doing, doing everything they can, John. Come they're, on, they're let's doing. Go. I mean, go. they're 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 emailing me and they're texting me and they keep trying to woo me back, and I'm just not ready to go. I'm still jilted but uh i love oh, the hard rock you yes. wouldn't go you wouldn't go to the virgin, I, well, I virgin hotel's I, a nice brand john Come i know I, uh, I i've stayed in one of their hotels before but i mean i've also stayed in hard rock in san diego and hard rock in uh, what yeah, chicago and different it. places and brand i'm a hard loyalty. rock guy it's where I, i'm loyal man i'm loyal db i get it i get it I so get we'll see uh i i was really excited by the rumors there for a while that the uh that the hard rock hotel was going to take over the cosmo and that was going to yeah. be the new hard rock <sighs> which would have been perfect, but that would have been amazing. John. Yeah, I was, I was all in on that, but uh, it seems to have died down. And now the hard rock is looking at some other properties. So the point is eventually there will be another hard rock hotel in Las Vegas. So there is a small window. Uh, if you're, if you're, uh, if you run a hotel in Vegas and you're listening, there's a small window. I, I'm a free agent until such time. So you need to get your recruiting pitch in and you can try to, to get me to stay there. Um, <laughs> I haven't landed upon my second favorite hotel. It's basically hard rock in Vegas and all the other ones are, are just a distant second. So uh, now is your chance to woo me. But anyway, uh, Dennis, I, I, I hope you brought your hockey gear because you might have to suit up at this rate. The Flyers, I think, are only bringing 10 players to play the game. So everybody else is staying back. You, you might need to play in the game. 
Um, well, if, if I could always get forwards, John, I might be able to make the team. But other than that, it's uh, well, I think they have six players on the covers list. But the big, big timers like uh, Giroux and, and Voracek, I think, are on the list. So it's going to be tough. But, you know, like everything, we're just going to. NHL is going to march through our, the optics, John, are going to be amazing with respect to because they built the, the rink on a golf course, but it's right on the edge of the lake. Dennis, so I've look seen over like the thing. Yeah, I've seen some of the pictures. It's a it's beautiful. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how they came up with this. So it's great. I'm sure the optics for the fans are going to be amazing. Um, I think it's just going to breathe down. What they're going to do, John, is they're going to, you know how it works. You get a media room. They're going to shuttle us back and forth. So there is a viewing platform. You can't stand in the whole game, nor would you want to, because it's probably going to be about 35 degrees. So for like 15 or 20 minutes, you're going to get a glance, take pictures, whatever, then go back to the media room. So it's going to be interesting. It's a one-of-a-time thing. And now you and I are both adrenaline junkies, right? So we love the event. So it's great being here. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Man up, Dennis. I don't want to hear about the weather, okay? I was outdoors <laughs> in Buffalo for USA Canada. True. So that's so, right, you are. So you come are. on, come on. I mean, you're okay. you're from you're from New York originally. Stop talking like you're some sissy from the valley in California. And- I got soft, Jay. I came to the <laughs> LA. I got soft, man. Gets, I don't want to hear. It gets snowing, cold anymore. Exactly. <laughs> it gets below <laughs> seventy, and we're all looking for our parkas. It's- I know. <laughs> Uh, all right, look, we have uh, another fantastic guest coming up today. We're going to be joined by LA Kings assistant coach Trent Yanni. And, I, you know, I think he has an interesting background that we'll get into in the second period. He played for the Calgary Flames, among other teams, at a time period when there was a real hatred for the LA Kings back in the old Smythe Division days. And then we're going to try to dig in with uh, with him on all of the, uh, the happenings with some of the youngsters. And there really have been a lot of storylines so far this year, Dennis, uh, related to the Kings on defense. And we've spent so much time talking about yeah. Gabe Velarde and all the kids at forward, you know, Jod, et cetera. But uh, it's time to talk about defense today. Before we get to all of that, though, we are coming to you today from the Terry Ruskowski studio. And if people don't remember, uh, Terry was somebody who played in Los Angeles for two years. He played in a number of different stops, including Chicago, L.A., Pittsburgh, played in Minnesota for the North Stars as well, played in about 630 NHL games. Two of those stops, or excuse me, one of those stops for two years happened to be here in Los Angeles. Uh, he played on those teams with Marcel Dion, Charlie Simmer, Jim Fox, Dave Taylor, Bernie Nichols, Mark Hardy. I mean, they were stacked back then. And uh, there's a reason why I picked him. And instead of telling you today in the first period, it's all going to unfold and present itself during the second period. So let's put a pin in that for right now. And instead, let's talk about the Kings are coming off of a victory. We're, we're recording this on Friday, which is between the two games set in Arizona, DB. So uh, let's get to our thoughts on their win. The Kings here, they, they've won three in a row, Dennis. They're in the mix. They're gaining momentum. Here's my question to you, John. Oh, boy. Um, here's the question. Did Todd send Gabe out there for redemption on the shootout? Um, well, it, yeah, he said it. Uh, in, actually, I asked him, um, how did you pick the players for the shootout? And I only asked that uh, question because I had tweeted out, as I usually do going into a shootout, like these are the three guys that I would send out. Three guys, right. And, yep. and it just so happened those three guys are the ones that scored. He started with a different player, but those three guys all scored, you know, and made me look good. So thank you, Todd. I do appreciate that. Um, and, but, he's, but when I asked him about that, and he, he sort of explained his reasoning, um, and then his specific reason for Gabe was, and he drove the point home that he tried to make the other night, which is he thought that basically Gabe essentially scored on that goaltender the other night. He's like, hey, he beat the goalie. He did everything but score the goal. And so, yes, it was, uh, I guess you could call it a point of redemption, certainly. Uh, Look, a nice win. 
and again, another quick start, John. The three, the, the one threat of of these games were not only rolling four lines, but they got out to early leads and they held on. Well, they didn't hold on. Arizona came back and rallied. But I know you don't love three point games, but that was a nice win for them. Uh, uh, Darcy Kemper played really well for Arizona, but they found a way to win, and now they're on three game winning streak. And who knows, John? I mean, that this team is. The gathering momentum, you see the chemistry on the lines. You don't want to disturb anything right now. And the younger players, or not even the younger players, the less experienced players are coming through in a big spot for this team. Well, it, it, here's the thing on the three-point. Uh, you're referring to the tweet from last night, so let's make sure that everybody yeah. listening knows what we're talking about. If there was ever a year where you don't want three-point games, it's right. this year if you're the L.A. Kings. Yeah. And so here's the reason why, everybody. We've sort of laid this out previously, but now people are starting to pay attention there are three teams that have pretty much locked in their spot for a playoff spot in the Western uh, Western Conference, excuse me, not the Western Division, but in the West Division, uh, and that would be St. Louis, that would be Vegas, and that would be Colorado. So you have the other five teams that are playing for that fourth spot. So any, and uh, Kings fans are having a difficult time wrapping their mind around this. When, Kings fans, listen closely. Anytime that those top three teams are playing, you want them to win in regulation. You, right. you want them to... You want, uh, excuse me, you want uh, St. Louis, you want Colorado, and you want Vegas to win every game in regulation because you don't want them giving away any free points going to overtime or a shootout to the other five teams in the division. And when uh, the Kings are playing, especially when the Kings are playing those other four teams, because the Kings are one of the five that are fighting for the fourth playoff spot. So the five remaining teams, which would be L.A., uh, San Jose, Arizona, Minnesota and the Ducks, when the Kings are playing those teams, it is imperative that the Kings get uh, regulation wins against those teams because, again, they don't want to give away any free points to those other yeah. teams. So, yes, it's great that the Kings won three ga- you know, three in a row and they've had points in four straight and all that stuff. And, yes, after going up 2 nothing last night and the game ended up being tied and they ended up winning, it's, you know, it's, it's a feel-good. But from a points standpoint, yeah. giving Arizona that point could come back to haunt them and hurt them later because it's kind of a three-team race right now. Right, John. Yeah, I was going right? to say that. Yep. It's kind it's of Minnesota, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. The other, when you watch San Jose and, Ar- and Anaheim play, no. It's, <laughs> I'm just not. No. That is, that is a very succinct way of putting it, Dennis. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it's no. <laughs> no. It's just the bad teams. It, yes. it happens, you know. Yeah. It, I mean, San Jose's had a huge run. I don't know what's going on with Bob Murray and Anaheim. Bring up Trigger's. Trevor Zegers already, and you know uh, they're not going to trade uh, Getzlaff. It looks like, but yeah, those two teams. Are, I agree with you. Three team race for the balance of the season looks like. Yeah, definitely at this point. Uh, and so the Kings have obviously played a number of games against Minnesota, and and they still have two more games on this road trip against Minnesota. Uh, that'll be after the two game set against St. Louis. But the first game against Arizona was a big one. They needed to win that game. They did. Now, preferably, they would win it in regulation in this uh, in this next game. But look, let's talk about a couple of other aspects of that game as well. You had Jonathan Quick in net, which I thought was interesting because it has been Cal's net of late. And, uh, you know, normally in this particular situation, what we'll call a platoon situation, you would expect a coach to kind of ride the hot hand quick is coming off of the shutout still did expect Cal. I did at least expect Cal to be the starter in Arizona. And I know that we had talked on the previous program and you and I both thought that quick would get two games, but I did think that Cal would go back in. So I was surprised that he went to quick. So quickly, no pun intended, uh, but it all, you know, it, it did work out well for Todd in that sense. Yeah, I, you know, I was surprised too, John. 
uh, that when Quick came out for the, you know, led the team out for the to the ice in Arizona. But uh, with, the, I, I just think at this point, who knows, John? I, I, you would have thought it would have been Cal, but he had it. Eat, like the first half of this of the Arizona game, he really didn't do much. He came up big time in the in the overtime. Now he made, I think they had five high danger changes, Arizona, whatever they did in the overtime, they woke up, but, uh, but he got him a win. And, and John, look, you can't play 80, 20 in this league. You just can't. It's just, there's too many games too short or one way to think that one goal is going to get 80, 20. So Todd, I, I think Todd's challenging quick at this point in time and say, look, I know you've been here for a long time. Like you are really not used to sitting out three games in a row, but, John proved himself. He got a shutout against Minnesota and won the game in the shootout last night. So you probably think the, the pendulum's going to swing back the 50-50, but I, I don't know, John. Who knows? Because you and I were both on the same page. You think that the first game in Arizona is going to be Cal. John comes out, plays well. They win the game. Now, I did ask Todd on the Zoom today, and he indicated, you know, we always get things like likely or it's probable or things like that. Yes, it's never, right. definitive, never definitive, which is fine. I mean, in 2021, nothing is definitive, so that's fine. <laughs> um, but he said that Cal is likely to play. So so we, we at least know that, yeah. which is good because uh, the Kings do not have a morning skate scheduled for Saturday, which is normally where you would get that information. Um, so thank you to McClellan. He's, I'm sure, going to be listening to this in his hotel room there uh, in, in Glendale. So thank you, Todd, for at least giving us a little small taste and letting us know that Cal will be in net there. There was another um, storyline coming out of the game that really didn't start to bubble to the surface until today, and that is that Jared Anderson Dolan was injured, smashed, crunched up yeah. along the boards, and uh, Todd said today that Jod is not going to be available in the game tomorrow and may not even be available for the remainder of the road trip, Dennis. Oh, that's not good, John. That, that, it, the kid was just hitting his stride being an influencer on his line, that that's a tough loss if he goes out. But look, next man up. Well, it, it's not only that is it, is it a tough loss, but ironically it comes right after or within 24 hours-ish of Todd saying that he does not subscribe to the age-old theory that coaches right. have about you don't lose your spot in the lineup due to injury. Now, look, some people have tried to make a make something out of that, and, and I just want to give my take on that. When he said that, this is where context is so important. DB, you and I talk privately all the time about context. <laughs> context, and all, <laughs> context is very important, right? So you have to get beyond the head headline people and you have to get to the context of what's going on and so it's a great headline grabbing thing to say that McClellan doesn't subscribe to the theory that players um, uh, you know get their spot back in the lineup when they return from injury Uh, he doesn't subscribe to that but if you really get into the heart of what he was saying it makes sense and what he was basically saying is and I'm paraphrasing Uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but what he was basically saying is, look, it depends. And there's a reason why it depends. If you're Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter, et cetera, you've earned that spot. That is your spot. So when, if you're injured and you return to the line and you return, you're going to slide back in there. Just like Brownie has done over the last couple of years at various points when he's been injured. Um, I remember the John Stevens, the final year, right? I think Brownie missed the first 10 games of the year or whatever. As soon as he's healthy, boom, he slides right back in there. There are other guys that are playing in the lineup and that playing in the lineup is different than having a spot in the lineup. So for example, I'll use Matt Luff. He's playing in the lineup right now, but that is not Matt Luff's spot. His, he is in the lineup in pencil. He's not in there in black Sharpie and he hasn't earned that yet. So if, you know, when Luff was injured earlier in the year, he has to wait and sort of bide his time. And I think he was talking more specifically about a guy like Martin Furk, sort of the same thing, right? 
Ferk, when he sure. is healthy and available to play, there's no guarantee that he's going to go right back into the lineup. So, um, I don't know, Dennis. I just think context is important when you yeah. when you start to dissect some of these words. Yeah, it's, it's a function of how the players in the lineup are doing. And if you're winning three in a row, if you're trying to come back in and a team's got chemistry and you won three in a row, you're less likely to go back into the lineup. But yeah, like a guy like Anthony Sia, who did well in a short sample size, but there's no guarantee that once he's good to go, that he's going to come back in. He's still a non-roster player, I believe. So uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, John, it's about context. And, and right, if Kopitar went out for two games, would he be the number one center in the third game coming back? <laughs> Pretty sure he would be. <laughs> Well, DB, back to double A. I think there's another point, too. There, there's so much that goes into this. Double A is not an L.A. Kings player. He's on the L.A. Kings roster. They didn't draft right. him. They didn't develop him. Right. There's a big difference between trying to get him back into the lineup uh, versus yep. trying to get Jod back into the lineup, for example, right? There's just your, your role, your line, your length of service to the team. Uh, you know, there are so many things that go into 180 this. 180 degrees, John. That's yeah. what it is. Those two players. Context. Once again, we chalk it up to, you have to go read more, tweet less, people. You have to go deep into the heart. You can't just look at the headlines of things. Um, But that will be, just back to Jod, that will be, uh, you know, a problem for LA because that line was really totally. clicking. He was effective uh, in wow. his first five games this year. He had put in five points, three goals, two assists. Um, you know, like we said, the line was effective. It, it, the timing, though, just really, it's it's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. A good thing only in the sense that, like you said, next man up and they have all these guys that are, that are ready to come back. It makes things a little bit easier. And man, yeah. Michael Amadio, this dude must have nine lives. He, we need to find, like, who's the most famous cat? Is it like, Tigger or I don't know. There's Felix. Felix. Okay. His new nickname is because Felix. Of the King's connection. Felix. <laughs> okay, five and Felix. He, uh, no, Tigger was a tiger anyway, but I guess it's a cat. That's but true. my point is fine. Felix. My point is that Amadio is just dodging bullets left and right. He is the guy <laughs> who should be on waivers already. And he just keeps missing He's out. Going back in, John. Here we go. He's going back in. <laughs> so good old Felix. He's uh, he, he's hanging in there. We'll see how much longer this this thing wears on. But all all the best to Jod. Hopefully he's back soon. And then yes, you talk please. about players returning to the lineup, Dennis. Todd also, uh, and I love how he just drops these bombs sometimes, right? He's, he's very coy at times and other times, just very nonchalantly. You know, yeah, you know, Walker's going to play on this road trip. Wait, hold on, coach. What? Sean Walker? <laughs> Sean Walker, the guy who looked like, you know, death warmed over? He's going yeah, back in the lineup? Yeah, exactly. it's crazy. Crazy, Dennis. He's going to wear two masks and a shield, John. <laughs> I, I am, you know, it, it, we. It, everybody says it all the time, Dennis. Hockey players, they're just a different breed of humans. Uh, Ronnie Lott, by the way, uh, he must have been a hockey player in a previous life. For those that don't right. know, Ronnie Lott once cut his finger off to stay in a game. He yeah, would rather lose part of his finger than to come out of a football game that is a hockey player if I ever heard of one. Is the last now, John, are we going to talk about the defensive rotation in the third period? Do you want to talk about it now? Uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break? Why don't we bring Trent Yanni in? Let's ask him a bunch sure. of questions about the defense. And then when we come back on the other side of it uh, in the third period, we can dig into that and we can look ahead a little bit more. Sound good, DB? Sounds great, John. Let's do it. All right. After the break, Trent Yanni will join the program. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? 
I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Second period. We are joined right now by the assistant coach for the LA Kings, Trent Yanni. We're going to talk about his career and a whole bunch of other stuff. Trent, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Are, are we supposed to call you Yans? I mean, because everybody else we talk to is a nickname, but uh, I just didn't feel comfortable going Yans right out of the gate there. Well, that's, that's fine. That's pretty much my handle. So <laughs> how about it? All right. So <laughs> hopefully nobody's yawning during the interview. It'll be uh, it'll be fun. Here, here's my first question. Do you know where you were on October 24th, 1982? Uh, probably I would have been playing junior hockey, I would assume. <laughs> it was it was not a trick question, or at least it was not intended to be a trick question. But that, uh, that particular day is important because uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of your ultimate connection to the L.A. Kings. But on that particular day, L.A. sent Terry Ruskowski to the Chicago Blackhawks. Now... Uh, excuse me, they acquired him from the Blackhawks, and to Chicago, they sent a defenseman and a third-round selection, which the Blackhawks used on you in the 1984 oh. NHL draft. Wow, I did not know that. Yes. That's pretty neat. So you were, dra- you were drafted with what was originally an L.A. Kings draft pick that they had sent to Chicago in that trade. I had no idea. Well, it was destiny. You just didn't know it. It took you a long time yeah, to get exactly. here. <laughs> yeah. It took you many, many years to get here, but uh, you, you finally have arrived. Um, you know, when I was looking back over your career, one thing that sort of struck me is you spent a lot of time as a player in what would have been the Central Division or what's become the Central Division. And then as a coach, you've spent a lot of time in the Pacific Division. And I, I was just wondering if you had uh, sort of ever thought about that yourself. No, I mean, I, the only thing that I ever thought of is as more as a coach that I never spent any time in the other conference in the, you know, in the Eastern conference, I've, I've moved around all over the place, but I've always been kind of either through the affiliations uh, in the American league as a coach, or even now uh, in, in the NHL, I've uh, always spent most of my majority of my time, obviously in, in, the, in the Western conference. Yeah, for sure. No, that that is definitely interesting. Now, going back to your junior days real quickly, we asked Todd McClellan about this when we had him on the program a, a month or two back. Uh, so I'm going to ask you the, the same question. You guys played together in Saskatoon there. I think it was your final year. He was breaking in. Uh, what do you remember? What, what was he like then compared to what he's like now? Uh, you mean as a player? Uh, either way. How about, well, he's not a player uh, anymore, you know so what? how about as he, a person? He was uh, – Todd's a very uh, – intelligent man um obviously very well versed and he was way back then he was uh you know very good in 
in, in high in his high school and in, in scholastics, and that was that was tough to to be able to combine uh, both you know junior hockey and 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 make uh, the honor roll in in high school at that time, and uh, he was able to accomplish that, which is not really a surprise when you get to know Todd. He's very organized, but uh, yeah, he. I mean, got to know him and his and his family, and uh, as uh, we kind kind of went our different ways, we ended up, uh, you know, as luck would have it, coaching against each other. The year he uh, he won the Calder Cup with uh, with Houston, they he they beat us uh, out to go to the to the next round, and. Uh, as, as after that, I mean, we we kept in contact and and through the coaching uh, uh, careers, and he moved on to Detroit. I ended up staying in the minors, uh, going to Chicago, and uh, you know when he got when they won the cup in Detroit, I was uh, I had gotten fired, and so I was kind of uh, in Chicago as a head coach, and I was contemplating getting out of coaching a little bit and and i started in in pro scouting for for anaheim and started to enjoy that and he uh was getting interviewed he was kind of the the up-and-coming coach that was going to get uh somewhere along the line uh, an nhl job and the two places that he was interviewing was in atlanta and in uh san jose and so he had uh, given me a call, and he says, "Do you want to coach again?" And I said, "Well, I, you know, I haven't really thought about it, but uh, yeah." He goes, "Well, I'm <laughs> I'm interviewing in in uh, Atlanta, and uh, I, I I think I have a uh, a pretty good chance of at, at getting the job in both Anaheim or sorry at uh, Atlanta and in San Jose." And I said, "Well, I'm not too keen on going to Atlanta, but." I said, I, I think about it, but I said, if you get the job in San Jose, I, I definitely would like to, to join you. Because uh, as I, you know, I knew I, from the scouting background and watching teams, they, they had a pretty good team. So there was a great opportunity there to, you know, maybe uh, win a Stanley Cup. And that's kind of how it, uh, the, the, the whole coaching thing kind of took place. And uh, as, as we moved on, I after three years, I, I kind of left. And went back into head coaching in the minors and uh, in the American League. And, and Todd uh, spent, you know, I think seven years in San Jose. And we kept in contact. And uh, I be- got moved to, to Anaheim as an assistant with Bruce Boudreau, who uh, I enjoyed, uh, you know, working with. And, and then Bruce got let go and Randy and I stayed in the organization. And Todd moved on to... Uh, got let go in uh in uh, san jose and and right away he had a job in edmonton and so we kept in contact obviously i was in anaheim at the time every time we'd play at edmonton we'd kind of you know have a cup of coffee and talk because i jay woodcroft worked, worked with uh with todd as well in san jose when i was there and so we you know shoot the breeze and he uh after I was done, I knew I was probably going to be let go at the end of the year, the one year. And uh, he he said, "Do you want to come to Edmonton?" And I said, "Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to work for you again. I, I really enjoyed time in San Jose." And 
Went to Edmonton. That lot was short-lived. Obviously, he got let go after 20 games there. So spent the rest of the year. And uh, here we are in L.A. I, he had known right after he got fired that I think Blakey had talked to him and said that, uh, you know, if he wanted wanted to coach uh, L.A. and, and the, what the plan was moving forward. And uh, Todd had said, uh, had asked me after, he goes, well, do you want to come to L.A.? And I said, yeah, I'd love to work for you again. And here we are. Uh, let's go let's go back a little bit to some of your playing days though because there were some some good people that you came across uh first of all you played in calgary i want to get to that in a moment but this recent injury with sean walker and and, and taking a a puck to the face it got me thinking hey did you ever take an al mckinnis shot in practice uh probably by accident maybe but al al never really in practice al always toned it down he never shot it like he did in, in a game mm-hmm. so i mean for for those reasons that that it, i mean it, so he didn't break anybody's foot or anything like that he was pretty conscientious about that but in the games obviously everybody that watched could see what uh how hard he could shoot it i mean the walks injury was was crazy the fact that he could even pick himself up off the ice and come under his own accord to the box. I mean, it was, it, it, you could just, it, it kind of gives me the, the, the shiver still, mm-hmm. the sound and everything. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Uh, Todd was just telling us uh, on the Zoom recently that uh, Walks is getting ready to play again, which is even even crazy as well. Um, you know, you had another, uh, there, there's so many teammates, guys, that I would love to ask you about, but we'd have to do a whole other podcast about that because I really uh-huh. do want to get to the King's defense. But um, one guy, though, when you were in Chicago, Nelson Emerson was your teammate, and uh, I just find that sort of interesting. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's funny how kind of the, the hockey world is such a small world, and, and as we, you know, play with with certain guys, and, and now we're, we're out of the game, and, and you know, sell, but sell involved in some capacity. Here, here he is in in uh, in LA with uh, you know the player personnel and all the young guys. So it's it's kind of funny how that 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 goes. But Nelly was obviously a really really good player, uh, and uh, it'd be interesting. You know, the way the game is played now, he was a smaller player with a lot of skill be interesting to see what kind of damage he could do in today's game mm-hmm. because in back in that time i mean there was a lot more clutching and grabbing and and uh you know their players were larger but they weren't necessarily faster it was just it was harder for a smaller size forward to you know to put up numbers and he he was able to do that so uh you know it, it, it he was a good player really good player yeah. You know, as you were telling that story on the other side of my brain, I was thinking back about uh, the, the shot story. You saying that McKinnis was toning it down. It reminded me of a Martin Furt comment. He had told me last year that Stuthers had told him to calm down a little bit in practice and don't damage Cal Peterson because they needed him for a game. So Furky had to sort of tone it down in practice. Uh, yeah. So I guess yeah. it's the same yeah. thing still happening now all these years later with uh, guys with those big, big shots. They need to chill a little bit in practice. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, it was kind of we just played Minnesota, and I know uh, you know Dumba felt uh, really bad about the shot getting away from him and, and, and the damage that it did. And you know he uh, it was pretty classy. He took care of uh, Walks with uh, with 
the bottle of uh, tequila, which I thought uh, was was very classy on his part. I mean, I know he you could just tell by the look on his face in the game that it was he was just distraught. Sure. As to you know, he wasn't trying to to, to do it in a, a a meaning way. It just it just got it. He can really shoot it. It just got away on him. Yeah. Well, that is classy. You're right. Uh, back to Emerson for a quick moment. Speaking of nicknames, um, you, you you called him Nelly there, but did you know that his real nickname is uh, Emmer? No, didn't know that either. <laughs> See, you're finding out all kinds of stuff on today's program. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, when he was younger and he was a he was a stud baseball player, his uh, his teammates called him Emmer, but his hockey friends always you know they kept with the the of course the big tradition. Uh, they just called him Nelly. So uh, if you ever want to if you ever want to catch him off guard, just walk up and say Emmer, and he'll wonder how you found that out. I'm going to. He's on the trip, so I'm going to throw that out of either. <laughs> tonight or tomorrow perfect outstanding now look we're going to get to the we're going to get to the defenseman but i have to ask you one last question though Smythe division in my opinion the best hockey that there was i, I missed this old Smythe division and you played for the calgary flames at really peak Smythe, if you will uh there in the early 90s there was a great hatred between the calgary flames and the la kings there were some some good uh playoff battles that took place as well and i'm just curious what you remember about a hatred for this team back then in the early 90s Oh, I mean, it was, it was as you already described, it was a pretty good rivalry. Uh, it's funny because a lot of those guys, or not a lot of them, but Mike Donnelly and, and Blakey, and they're obviously in the organization and have been, and those they were key players, you know, for for the Kings at the time that they they beat us out. But uh, I, I remember them being on quite a run. I remember it being, you know, very physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they, they, they were a good team, you know, and, and, uh, we came up a little short, but they kind of peaked at the right time. And, and, you know, they, everybody contributed. That's what I remember. Like they, 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 there was really no, uh, weak links in, in, in the team. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. Everybody thinks of that as being Gretzky's team, but you look up and down that lineup with Sandstrom and Granado and even the guys you mentioned, Donnelly and all the role players picking it up and even the backup goaltender and Rob Stauber, you know, playing well for them as well. So it was uh, fun, fun times back in. Well, let's dive into this year's team. Let's bring it forward. Um, this next question is not about Oli Mata. It's about Mikey Anderson. Uh, here's a very inexperienced player, you know, 10, 15 games in the NHL, and he gets uh, placed up on the top line with Drew Doughty, a huge responsibility. Why Mikey Anderson? Uh, I think that, that we, we just decided as a staff that, you know, he was a good fit for um, for Drew by the way he played. Like, he Drew likes to have the puck, and... Uh, he just it's you know with, with defensive pairs it's it, some guys work and some guys don't and with with Mikey his defending was was uh, you know his strong suit and that that meshed well with uh, with Drew as Drew plays against all the top players on on every team and we felt that Mikey could handle that it was you know a bit of a we, we wanted to see, but in order to see it, we had to give him that responsibility and he's grabbed it and, and, and ran with it. And he, uh, you know, talks to Drew a lot on the ice and I know Drew likes that and, and Drew does the same thing back. And they, as the games have gone on here, you can just, you can just tell that it's, it's, it's a good fit for both. Yeah. 
every coach that I've ever talked to talks about the leadership of Mikey Anderson and just how from the moment that you meet him, you realize that this is a, a, a really a special player and that he just gets it. He's, he's very professional. He's very composed on the ice. Um, and back about maybe God, two, three years ago, I was already saying that Mikey Anderson will wear a letter in Los Angeles someday. And then you saw it last year in his little brief call up at the end of the season, even Todd was talking him up, which is not normal for an NHL head coach to be praising a rookie like that. What is it about Mikey Anderson that just gives coaches this, this instant, uh, you know, connection or instant feel of satisfaction? Well, he, the, the thing for, for, for me is he plays within himself. He doesn't try and be something that he's not. And the other thing I would add with playing with Drew, some guys would, young guys would be intimidated playing with Drew, uh, but, but he's not. He, and he doesn't try and, and, and be something, like I said, be something that he's not. He's very, very steady. Uh, the detail part to his game is, as you described, is very professional. And as a result, I mean, he, he, I describe him as he's like tomato soup. I mean, you can go to the grocery store and buy tomato soup from different brand names, but it's still tomato soup. That's him. He, <laughs> it's the same every game and every game and every game. And he makes mistakes, but he doesn't get rattled by those mistakes and he owns them and he moves forward. And, uh, I mean, it hits. In the 10 game kind of tryout that he had at the end of the last year, I mean, you could, after about three games, I remember Todd and I were talking and it was like, you know what, this, this guy, he gets it. Yeah. He gets it. And we started like about 13 minutes and then the 13 went to the 15. And then by the end, he was playing like 17, 18 minutes. And now he's, in some games, he's over, over 20. So he's earned it and it's his, his steadiness and his ability to make a good first pass, uh, very good on the penalty kill. Uh, as you described, his leadership in, in terms of, uh, you know, talking out on the ice and, and, and doing the right thing in, in, in practice. Um, you, those guys, you know, they, that, that's why they end up playing in, in, in the National League. And he had to get, I think, the, the 10 games also gave him a chance to understand, uh, you know, the, the, the little subtleties the differences in the nhl versus the american league players are bigger faster and stronger and he he spent the summer uh with this whole pandemic thing but when he came when we had training camp you could see that he has his body had changed like he spent a lot of time in the gym getting stronger and and it it, it shows in his play this year so far can we, can we at least say that he's uh, Campbell's healthy request uh, or healthy choice? Yeah. I mean, can, yeah. he, can he at least be, you know, high-end tomato soup? Absolutely. I mean, you, those guys are, are that can play that steady game at such a young age are, are hard to find. And, uh, you know, you're, as a coach, and not in a negative way, you're always kind of waiting to see <laughs> them, them screw up. Right. So how, how do they respond to that? And it, it it doesn't it doesn't he doesn't get rattled at, at all. I mean, and that's that's a credit to him. And I know uh, Drew really enjoys you know playing with those young guys, be it uh, Toby or or with uh, Mikey. And as as time has moved on here, you can you can see that they're they're as I said they're, they're they've meshed well as a as a pair.
Well, let's talk about Toby a little bit. I mean, he's good. There's no mistake about that. But he's also so young. It's so yeah. difficult for a 19-year-old, especially on defense, to have success. And, you know, you came up in that era where coaches and scouts would always tell you that defensemen mature a little bit slower at a different rate, and they typically don't reach their, you know, where they need to be till about 25. That's still five years away for Toby Bjornfoot, and he's on the second yeah. pairing getting, you know, big minutes and big responsibility from the L.A. Kings. Yeah, no, I mean, when, when uh, they drafted Toby last year, we played him in the first uh, few games. And, I mean, basically maybe wasn't the smartest thing on my part, but he, he was paired with Drew and played against some of the you know the better players, and especially in Edmonton against 97 and 29. And he handled it quite well. And then, you know, spending, spending the year in the minors for him at – being able to use the rules to his advantage, mm-hmm. I think has really uh, enabled him to, to, to take this step and be able to play that high up in the, in the lineup. Uh, I know when I was in Anaheim's organization, and, and it's very similar to Toby, Hampus Lindholm was the same, and Hampus spent a whole year as an 18-year-old in the minors and, and learned uh, the, the pro game, and then the following year, that I mean, that was it. He was he was in the, in the National League, and uh, Toby's very similar in, in both the pl- the way he plays and uh, just you know his his path uh, to the National League. Yeah, the, the thing with Toby uh, as a young player, again, he's he's very a quiet guy, a funny guy. I, I'm told, but I don't really see that. But <laughs> but he's an easy guy to to talk to and and very coachable, as is uh, Mikey. Um, see it, I, you know, again, his steadiness is what catches your attention, uh, and his mobility. He, he's, he's a lot more mobile and, and, and stronger than, than people, you know, maybe think at 19 he is. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, so it's been, it's been kind of fun actually, John, to, to watch these guys kind of grow before your eyes, uh, and, and, take me back to like the time in Anaheim with Lindholm and Manson and uh, Cam had been there a little for a little bit longer, but you could just see each game them getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And him, you know, pairing him with Roisey, who's again, a compliment, I think they complement each other with their, with their steady play. And uh, it, it, it's good for us as a staff, because you kind of know what you're going to get out of, you know, your, your, top four and uh you know hopefully he, he uh, continues to grow up i mean i think there's a he's got some offensive upside a pretty good shooter his shots a lot better than even i probably gave him credit for um but but there is an offensive he got an offensive side to him that that i think as he gets more and more confident that we'll we'll start to see now, if this next question is a dumb one, you go ahead and tell me. But I was thinking about this the other day. When you, It's great that these guys go to the World Juniors, and it was fantastic this year. The Kings are represented by nine players again for the second year in a row, and Toby was one of the top you know, players uh, for Team Sweden. But here's my question. You talk about the importance of playing in the American League. When guys go to the AHL, they, they're given an introduction to, wow, pro hockey is different. These guys are bigger, faster, stronger, right? But there's also, there are men playing in the American League. And when you go to, from the American League to the NHL, I don't necessarily think that the jump is as big as it is 
from going from, say, junior to the AHL. So here's where I'm going with this. When guys come back from the from the WJC uh, and then they're trying to break into the NHL, is it almost harder than if they had spent maybe half a year in the American League and then you try to insert them into the NHL lineup? Uh, yeah, that's not a stupid question. I mean, the, the, the big jump for all these players is the one from junior to pro. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see, that's what makes, uh, as we talked about, Mikey Anderson, you used the word pro. He, he already had that in him. Right. So he, that, that transition wasn't as big as maybe it is for some guys who have, maybe were, uh, used to playing, uh, you know, 30 minutes with their junior or college team, but, but 15 of those were, not so good. Now they're only playing 18 minutes, but those are 18 efficient minutes. Mm-hmm. And some guys struggle with that. Uh, but yeah, I think that that, that transition from, from junior, would it be world junior to um, the NHL, I, I think takes time. I think, it's, you know, and, and, and it takes repetition at that level to uh, give them an idea of what they're up against. I mean, we as coaches can talk about it and we can show them, but the, the, the best thing for them is to experience it. And uh, having that little bit, like I said, with Mikey having 10 games last year, I think gave him a head start on this year. Obviously, he caught our eye by the, the, the way he played and how steady he was. Toby, the same thing. And having that year in the minors and, and being able to go play World Junior, but 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 then coming back and, and playing you know, in the American League, and now it's made the transition uh, to the National League. Uh, you know, there, there is a big difference, not only in play, but pay, uh, NHL, <laughs> American League. And so, you know, you don't want to spend too much time there. You want to get out of there. It's a great league. Uh, don't get me wrong, but you want to get out of there as quick as you can. And, and obviously with the the openings that we had on D, these, these guys are taking advantage of them. Now, you talk about a guy who really paid his dues in the American League, and Kale Clegg perfected his craft down there. Um, what a bummer of a deal where he you know, ended up breaking his ankle, I think, uh, or his foot the night before he was about to get called up to the NHL. But he finally had his, his sort of run here at the beginning of the year. And here's what I'm wondering with Clegg. Is, is it almost a situation where it's harder for him? Because on one hand, he's a, a, you know, a Swiss Army knife, right? He can play left, he can play right, and all these different things. But is it almost more difficult for a guy like that because he doesn't bring that one specific defined skill to the table? Like, everybody knows what they get with Mikey Anderson. You know what you get with Bjorn Foot. You even know what you get with Sean Dersey. But with Clegg, he just does all these different things. And is it almost harder for a guy who's a jack-of-all-trades, even though he's a really good player? Uh, yeah, 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 it is. In the sense with Klager, I think he, he, he made a bit of a statement coming in this year. Uh, the one thing that I think he, you know, everybody's kind of banged away at with him is his consistency with his defending. And when it's on, Klager is, is very good, but there's always one or two plays in the, maybe in a hockey game that he would like to have back. Uh, the difference being in the American League, you can sometimes get away with that. While in the National League, they'll finish those plays off, mm-hmm. and or the, you know, make you pay for your mistakes. And I think that that was good for him, uh, you know, to get these games. And he has, you know, he's still developing, but I saw a big improvement in his uh, 
his retrievals and his uh, his defending, his net play in and around the net. In, in fact, I, you know, put him right on our, you know, as part of the, the six uh, D killing penalties. So uh, there is I, a lot of growth, but but as a young defenseman with you know the numbers that we have here, he has to continue to play. That's that's the only way he's going to continue. To, to hone his craft and, and work on those things that, that, that need to get tightened up. Where do you stand on the whole lefty-righty thing? Is it good for him to, to be able to play both sides, or would it be to his advantage at this point to sort of focus on one side? Uh, no, I think that anytime you can have a guy that can go back and forth, because a lot of guys can't. A lot of guys can't play uh, if they're a left shot don't like playing on the right side and, and vice versa with a, a right-handed shooting defenseman um, that said they don't like playing on the left side. We're lucky that like Klager can play both sides and, and walks can as a righty can play the left side if needed. And that's, you know, that's, that's a great thing to have as a coach because when guys don't want to play, they're off offside. You never, as a coach, you, you don't want to kind of put them in a position where they're not confident, and you always want to put them into a position where, you know, they feel they can be successful. And to have that, it 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 it's a it's a it's pretty good luxury to have. Let's talk about Austin Strand real quickly, and thank you for your time. I really certainly appreciate it. No. Um, in in the LA Kings prospect pool, I, you know, I, I refer to it sort of as alphabet soup, right? You have uh, yeah. and you have the ABCDs and so on. You have Anderson, Bjornfoot, you have uh, uh, Clegg, you have Dursey, and then you know you don't have an E, but then you get to Faber and Granz, and then you have Holtz, and then there's Austin Strand. And it's sort of funny in covering the Ontario Reign for the last couple of years, he was always sort of around. You know, we understood that he had a big offensive game uh, coming out of the WHL, and he was one of the bigger players so he did bring size and that's a unique skill that or a unique attribute I should say that some of the other prospects didn't have but certainly nobody expected him at least that's my opinion to to come into the National Hockey League this year um, if he had a chance to play and really make a statement and all that we get to hear is whether it's Drew Doughty or whether it's Todd McClellan and now I'm asking you is that Austin Strand really came in and opened up the eyes of a lot of people absolutely I think every year John there's always a surprise in training camp. I think if you look at last year, Lazat was a surprise, mm-hmm. making the team right out of training camp. Uh, I would say this year, Austin Strand was probably the biggest, or, or is the biggest surprise in training camp. And kudos to him, because he's uh, always been a, a player that, that has had the skill set. I think everybody's seen that, but a little bit like we talked about Klager, his consistency was never there. And I uh, I know talking to him in the, sub- the summer when games were going on in in the, in the bubble, and I it, and I everybody was watching. Obviously, I talked to him and he had, he said that that was the one thing that that he he needed to work at was was being more consistent. And you know through through the first six games here, he's been very very steady and and has, has made all the right reads and his touches have been with the puck have been really positive and. You know what? Good for him. Like it's the, the one thing that that's neat with, I guess, defensemen, but players in general that come out of the American League. Like everybody's development curves a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, some guys take a little bit longer. That doesn't mean that that, that they're never going to play. And then some guys are a little bit quicker. Like we we got opposite ends of the spectrum with Mikey Anderson and Austin Strand. It's taken Strander a little bit longer to develop that consistency. Where Mikey Anderson already had that and. He just applied it to, you know, the NHL kind of 
game, I guess. And, you know, Strander is very coachable, big shot. And, you know, he uh, has, has really moved the puck very well in, in the games that he's played. And, uh, just again, another guy that's fun to watch grow and also at the same time kind of want to see as if, if, if he makes a mistake, is it going to cost you? But if it doesn't, how does he respond to it? Does he start to do too much? Because Strander's always had a penchant for, you know, trying to make up for a mistake by doing overdoing it. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen that yet. And that's, you know, credit to him kind of just settling down and, and, and just playing his game. And he's done, done very well. Yeah, it's been very interesting to watch. And he's talked a lot about the uh, the mental coach that he's been using as well. And, and clearly that's paying some dividends and just, you know, getting his mind clear and focused and that sort of thing. Last question I'm going to let you run here today. And to me, this is a real thinker. Oli Mata, as the third pairing defenseman on the LA Kings, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And here, here would be the two sides of the coin. Is it a good thing that he's the third pairing defenseman? Because that means that the younger players are, are pushing him down the lineup. That means that Mikey Anderson is succeeding. That means that Clegg and Bjornfoot are, are succeeding and taking those spots on the second pairing. Or is it a bad thing that he's on the third pair because he's a veteran uh, player and he should be playing higher up in the lineup? Uh, I think for us, it's a, it's a, it's a really good thing. Because, and I'll tell you why, I think he's been instrumental in in helping out Strander uh, with with his his progress. And he's he, he's a veteran, as you described. He's won Stanley Cups, and he I think he's settled Strander down. They talk a lot on the bench, um, and that's he's, he's taking care of him from game one when he played in in, in Vegas. It's also good from the standpoint for our team is is that you have a veteran like him uh, on your third pair that for me as a coach, if one of those younger guys that, that maybe they're struggling on, on a given night, I could pop it, move him up and, you know, maybe take some of the pressure off one of the young guys. So I, I see it as, as, as a big, big positive. Obviously I, Selfishly, as a coach, <laughs> that I know I have this guy that I can, I can ramp up his minutes, but I can all and, and move him up. But I can also he can also help with the development of of our, our younger players. In this case, with with Austin uh, and 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 his growth uh, moving forward. Jan's outstanding debut here on Kings of the Podcast. We could have you back again later in the season. It'd be fantastic. You could then sort of give us a later in the season update on some of these defensemen and how things are going. But uh, in the meantime, we'll let you go find Emmer in the hotel and see if you can get inside his head. (laughs) Sounds great, John. Enjoyed it. All right. Enjoy the road trip. We'll talk soon. There you go. Trent Yanni. We'll be back after the break and talk more hockey. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast. 
with DB and the mayor. All right, welcome back, third period. And boy, 30 minutes with Trent Yanni. DB, that was more than we bargained for. He was amazing. Great insight into the LA Kings defense. Oh, yeah. And people want to know about the defense because there's emerging talent. And Trent could get who could give a better outlook on this emerging talent than Trent Yanni. So great interview, yeah. Yeah, there are so many young players in the pipeline right now. We talk about the alphabet soup of the prospects and Anderson, Bjornfoot, Clegg, and Dursey, and Faber, and Grons, and Holtz, and all these guys. And that doesn't even talk about Noisen and some of the other players. So the defense is really a strong suit of the prospect pool right now. They're looking for that one real gem to put them over yeah. the top. But uh, hey, there are 30 other teams in the National Hockey League that would be that would be very happy to have what the LA Kings have. Uh, Dennis, you were asking a defensive question in the first period. I want to get to that here. But before we do, let's remind everybody that the folks at Manscaped, they do support the program. We ask that you support them as well for everything they do here for Kings of the Podcast. And so, fellas, uh, we are in the thick of winter. Hopefully, you're paying attention to what's going on out there. There is a storm brewing, and it's time to uh, get after it. So, luckily, our partners at Manscaped, they specialize in the products to make sure that you're walking around town and that you are looking good and feeling good. And so, Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. I love that tagline, Dennis. It's really good. Um, kudos to whoever wrote that. DB, the lawnmower 3.0, we've talked about that uh, many times. You and I, uh, we both have one. And uh, it's, it's the best hygiene tool for the modern man. It has the ceramic blade, the skin-safe technology. It uh, reduces on, on cuts and nicks and things like that. And uh, DB, it also has one special feature that you're very fond of. The LED light. I have not trademarked it yet, though. Okay, so waiting for your attorney to get back to you. Uh, the Weed Whacker, which is the ear and nose hair trimmer. You can't go wrong with that. You have their anti-chafing boxers. You can get an, a cool travel bag. Everything is packaged so nicely, which is sort of ironic and funny that, uh, you know, it's all about making sure that your package is great and they provide perfect packaging for their perfect products as well. Uh, and DB, remember, we're talking about millions of people worldwide that have been using their products already. So this is these are tried and true products at this point. This is not something new. Um, you also have the Crop Preserver, which is their deodorant. You have the Crop Reviver, which is their toner. Lots of different things. Their new cologne that they launched, launched uh, a couple of months back. We talked about that on the program. And uh, listeners, you get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. It's real simple. You go to manscaped.com. You use our code, which is K-O-T-P-N-E-W. Again, K-O-T-P-N-E-W. Get 20% off plus free shipping. We've had some people, Dennis, that have tweeted at us and told us, you know, hey, thank you. We appreciate the discount. We've used the products. We love the products. So it's always uh, nice to hear those stories and share them with Manscaped as well. So Manscaped supports us. If you could do us a favor and support them, we greatly appreciate it. Now, Dennis, back to the defense, uh, having nothing to do with Manscaped, you uh, had some questions about the rotation. Yeah, so where does Sean Walker fit in all this, John? Uh, do you sit strand? He's a right D. So is uh, Sean Walker. And people on Twitter saying, oh, don't change anything. They're one three in a row. So just, just your thoughts on where Sean Walker fits in. Because I, my argument is you can't have Matt Roy as your as your point guy in the second power play. He's just not that type of player. Sean Walker adds that, and he's a dr play-driving defenseman. But I get Strands playing well, and the team's winning. So just in the short term, what are your thoughts about the rotation right now? Well, you did sort of take the words out of my mouth there, Dennis. I agree with you. I think that it comes down to the composition of the D as a whole and that normally you wouldn't want to change things. You would want to sort of ride the winning streak out and, and, and see where things go and how they develop. However... 
that second power play unit, it does need Sean Walker back there and involved. And so, you know, perhaps if another young player had stepped up and had done something significant to to uh, enhance that power play, then you could go, okay, maybe it doesn't need Sean Walker back. But I think they really do miss Walker back. And you know what? I think there's something to be said also for a player like Sean Walker returning. He's well-liked by his teammates. And this is somebody who's coming back from a, a pretty devastating injury that, that really shook a lot of guys, okay? They don't yeah. want to talk about it, but they see him and they see what happened to him and they know, even though it was an accident, it was a freak play, but they know it could have happened to basically any of them. Totally. And, Absolutely. you know, try to go home to your wife looking like that or try to go home to your girlfriend <laughs> or try to go home to your parents looking right. like that. Uh, it's scary, man. It's scary. And so if you're one of his teammates, to see him come back into the lineup as much as they like Austin Strand and, and everybody's talking so positively about his contributions and the time that he's been in, you want to get a Sean Walker back in because yeah. that's a real shot in the arm just sort of emotionally for the team as well as for that second unit power play. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Look, they, they are producing offensively. So some people are saying, well, they don't have, if you put Walker in there in favor of Strand, it's not a lot of size on the blue line, which is true. But, Mayor, you know, I, I missed the media availability because I was traveling to Tahoe and I was going through, scrolling through my Twitter, and there was a nugget of yours that I want to bring up, John. Oh, boy. Um, no, this is good. <laughs> John, will you tell the listeners who didn't follow your Twitter account about Carl Grunstrom's new nickname? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, Dustin Brown this morning. A <laughs> uh, uh, funny thing, actually, I, I had asked Brownie. You're going to love this too, by the way. I was going to text yeah. you this, and I forgot to. Um, for I'll answer your question first. Uh, he said yeah. that uh, apparently Grunstrom now has a new nickname, which is Sergey, which is a, a nod to his number being 91. Talking about Sergey Fedorov, which of course is funny, just because Grundy has so many different nicknames. Todd doesn't call him Grundy; he calls him Grunny kind of like granny, but he calls him grunny. So you have grunny, you have grundy, you have uh, Tonka, you have just so many different uh, nicknames for him. But uh, Brown had a lot of positive things to say about Sergey, I guess, <laughs> which I just, if you've ever spent time around Grunstrom, he's not a Sergey. So <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't fit uh, in terms of a nickname, but uh, that is his new nickname, I guess. But here's the thing I was going to tell you. I asked Dustin, you know, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, Brownie made the comments about his son thinking that he's not a very good hockey player. And, you know, basically Brown uh, has continued to shut up all, any detractors that he would have at this point. And still, really, at this point, why would anybody have anything negative to say about Dustin Brown, you know, um, for all of his years of service and, and what he's done to the L.A. Kings? But uh, he's still trying to shut up those detractors, including his son, with some outstanding performances this year, including leading the team in goals. And when I asked him about it, he sort of chuckled and said, you know, I haven't really looped back with my son and asked him uh, for an update. He said, but Nicole, his wife, has been sending him uh, text messages of tweets that people have said about him, which I found hilarious uh, just because knowing Nicole, that is, you know, she's keeping receipts, Dennis. So she I is the, she's the Ken Dryden of hockey wives, John. <laughs> Nothing gets by her. She sees everything. So you can imagine sometimes we get texts during the games and no, John, it's not even Ken Dryden. She is the all powerful and knowing Oz when it comes to hockey wives, because not, she is aware of everything. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's keeping receipts, everybody. Nicole is at home. She's monitoring the situation and she knows what's going on. So um, you have to wonder, why hasn't Nicole set it, set their son straight and saying, hey, dad's a pretty damn good hockey player. So 
Uh, this is that rivalry between yeah, the two of them, right, right? right? Before they won a cup, she said, remember back in the day, she said, I'm the only one that ever won a championship until Dustin won two cups. So, I will uh, never forget her telling us that she was the better of the two players. <laughs> I know, exactly. What a, what, a, what a hockey wife she is, John. Just, uh, just oh. we're blessed to know a woman like that. She's just amazing. She is outstanding. We, uh, we still have to get her on the program at some point. I think that uh, I think our we listeners do. would enjoy, would enjoy uh, you know, what, what she... Um, what she would have to say. She's not short on opinions, Dennis. She, um, and no, they're, John, and, no. and they're, they're well educated opinions. She's not just, you know, blurting out things that don't make sense. She puts a lot of thought into this. She, oh, uh, she's a hockey player, John. Yes. She knows the game. It's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely not just some, you know, wife that just, you know, just doesn't know the game and is married to a hockey player. She's played the game. She knows it. So when, when she gives her very strong handed opinion about things, it, it's based in fact. Yeah. Uh, different sort of player here. Matt Luff, man. Matt Luff, it, he has had so many opportunities of late. You really need one to go in for him because you get yeah. the sense that he can sort of hear or feel the footsteps of the guys coming up behind him and trying to take his spot. Yeah. yeah. Look, he may be the guy in Seattle next year. I think that I've heard that they always like the kid, but yeah, it's tough because he's creating, John. He's getting opportunities and just maybe squeezing the stick a little too hard. I'm not really sure, but yeah, look, we're not supposed to root for players, but I, I'm rooting for Matt Luffa. I'm, I'm sure you are just a good kid and he's getting opportunities now. He's just got to finish one or two of them. And I just it'll add to his confidence. Yeah. Well, here's another one, Dennis. If you want to talk about players going to Seattle, we need to do a program on this at some point later in the season. It's far too early, right. but Austin Strand might be an interesting uh, pickup. Mm. If you think about it, he, he has ties to the area. He played his junior hockey there, was very successful, won some WHL championships and whatnot. And so he's, he's well known within the hockey community. Uh, and so there in Seattle, and, and it might be a nice connection. You're getting a young defenseman. And uh, I was talking to Spike Kaufman off, uh, off the air the other day about this and saying, hey, you know, let's think about some comparisons. Like Colin Miller had basically one more year, but essentially was kind of at the same point when Vegas took Colin Miller, mm-hmm. uh, right mm-hmm. shot defenseman, you know, uh, was expected to play a bigger role and just really had been waiting to get his his time with an NHL team. He had about one other season on uh, on on where things are compared to Strand, but a similar similar sort of comp uh, because it wasn't Braden McNabb. He had more experience at that point in time. Yes. So I would be curious to see. Perhaps it is Austin Strand. You don't know. Uh, we're we're too far into it because at the same time, how many more games is Austin Strand going to get? So if he is the one that is sent back to Ontario just because it's a numbers game and he doesn't play much the rest of the season, um, you know, would, would the Seattle group have enough of a book on him to want to take a chance on him where Matt Luff sure. probably will get more games this year than Strand will get? Or was, you know, was it one of those situations where they, they heavily scouted and I'm sure they did because they scout. It's not like they're scouting, uh, you know, junior teams this year. They're just they're not playing right now. So <laughs> right. Pe- people should be scouting the AHL very thoroughly, probably more than they anticipated to do so. So they should have a, a good book and a good read on Austin Strand. Good size, offensive weapon. You know, he, he could be a good third pairing defenseman in the, in the NHL. Yep. And like you said, homegrown talent guy from the area. Nothing wrong with that. You love those stories to try to, you know, appease the media and appease the, the local fan base and things like that. Uh, it does go over very well. Uh, Vegas has a player with some Vegas ties, right? So that, uh, that, that, received a, sure. that received a lot of run when they first came into the league. So it's crazy to think, Dennis, that the expansion draft uh, is just really still a few months away. And it's not something, at least I don't believe so. I don't believe that it has, the, the, 
the the momentum of that topic has not really started to take off uh, uh, like it did with Vegas. It seemed like we were just still always talking about Vegas at this point in the same you know part of the curve, if you will. Uh, but perhaps it's because of the fifty six game season and and yeah, COVID and all the weirdness of twenty twenty one that that people aren't talking about it. But man, Seattle is they're they're going to be an NHL team officially in just a couple more months. Yeah, like what seven months, eight months before that, probably going to form. Well, the draft will be in July. That's five months away. So that's really something. I think just the allure of Vegas. You know, you and I both love that city. I just think the allure behind the Golden Knights and Vegas is the first expansion team for a while. Mm-hmm. This one is okay. We did this a couple of years ago. True. Now we're doing it again. So I think part of that is the allure of that of that city as opposed to Seattle. So, but yeah, nobody's really paying much attention to it now. John, what's your take on the draft? Like so yeah. there, there's some takes that, you know, do two seasons and no. one or whatever, or no. just do the first round. Just can't. Just, yeah. I, I just don't see it. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I don't, I don't understand how you do that. Like I, to me, that's just a bunch of people on the internet that are trying to have fun and, and come up with these crazy ideas. I don't see a real push. I will be surprised if there is a push from general managers. Uh, I, I would be in the minority who mm-hmm. would say that that's a good idea. I think that you have to do okay. the draft. Um, I think that there's a way to get enough evaluation. The, um, most of these players, uh, you have a book on them already. You've watched them for right. several years. Yes, they've been off for a year. And yes, their body changes, skills change, things like that. Um, but if the OHL does get back up and running, and that's... The, really the whole reason why they need to play 24 games, right? You need to have some right. mi- some mini tournaments, if you will. Right. You need to play a couple dozen games. You need to watch them. You did get an opportunity to see to see some of those players at the World Juniors, but there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot more. There's more, right? Beyond just the first and second round. Sure. You need to see those players, but the colleges are playing this year, and so there are kids that'll be yep. drafted there. Um, there are kids playing in Europe, obviously, and they were earlier in the season. I don't think that you can do two years in uh, in one draft. I think that so much for a good team, for a team like the LA Kings that has a good staff, a, a hardworking staff, um, there's so much work that goes into one draft do, year that I think you're you're setting yourself up for failure and the, the bad outweighs the good in terms of waiting uh, and it throws everything off. It just throws everything off. So uh, I, everybody's on an even footing right now. And so for people complaining, well, look, I didn't get as many live games. Well, nobody did. You you have you have the viewings right. that you have, whether they're on tape or not. And so um, I know. I guess it's a long winded answer, Dennis, but. I don't see how you change any of that. And this whole thing we've heard recently about, well, maybe you just do the first round. No, that's ridiculous. Why, why, what about a kid like Arthur Kaliev, who was drafted two spots out of the first round? So, you know, he's not included because he didn't get taken in the first round. And then where do you, where do you draw the line? Okay, well, then do the first two rounds. Well, no, because the same thing. There's a kid who's taken, you know, 70th that sure. isn't part of the first two rounds. No, you just, you run it. You run the draft. You do the draft. I mean, if you want to do anything you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you just shorten it up and make it four or five rounds and make everybody else a free agent if you want to do that? And to me, that's not an option either. There's a reason why there are seven rounds of the draft. And and that's also, those are assets, Dennis. That's draft capital, right? Right. Exactly. If you don't, if you don't, if look, if, you're, if your staff is not ready to draft in the third or fourth round because you didn't get enough viewings, well, trade the pick then and let somebody else do it that wants to take one of those players <laughs> and you'll get some extra assets for a future year. I think it's, I think you have to do it. Just, you know, fine. I think I, Dennis, here's my last rant on this. You have to talk about it as you do with anything, whether you're talking about right. just like, just like this two game set, 
I think they should play more two-game series next year. I think you have to talk about it. And if you decide not to do it, okay, but you have to talk about it. And it's with anything. Talk it out. But I think that when you get to the other side of this conversation, you won't see very many changes to the draft. That's, that's my opinion. Okay, DB, uh, real quickly to wrap up today, the Ontario Reign, they have won their first game of the season. They had a, a rough start here, a rough going, but they picked up uh, one point, and then they built on that. They picked up a win. They're playing the Colorado Eagles. They are, that game is for free. If you're listening to this on Friday, the day that we released the show, the game tonight is available for free. It's the AHL Game of the Week on Facebook, so be sure to check that out. You uh, unfortunately will not be able to see Alex Turcott. He was dinged up a couple of games ago. He is day-to-day. They did try to get him to test it. Uh, before the game the other night. He wasn't ready to go, so they ended up going with 11 forwards and 7D. They also had an interesting look on the power play, Dennis. They went with five forwards on a five-on-three power play, uh, which, according to Robo, was the brainchild of Craig Johnson, and it ended up working. So we have to see if uh, you get another look at the five-forward power play tonight, but uh, they are going for another win tonight. J.F. Barube will be back in goal, and uh, Quentin Byfield, you know, he's he's playing well. He uh, took a high stick or a skate the other night, though. He missed about 12 minutes of the second period. Everybody was holding their collective breath, Turcotte already being out. Then then you had uh, Byfield go out. And then here's another thing. You talk about uh, storylines that didn't bubble up right away. Rasmus Kapari also took a skate or a stick on the forearm in that game, and he missed a couple of minutes and had to go get stitched up. So um, the training staff for the LA Kings already working overtime because of all the protocol. They're certainly putting their work in in the early days here uh, in the AHL season. Yeah, let's move past that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Dennis, another outstanding program. Really great uh, catching up with Trent Yanni, hearing about the young defense. A lot of uh, roster moves to go still for the LA Kings as the season continues to progress. And uh, DB, we'll be back next week. We'll talk more about the road trip as the Kings venture out of Arizona and end up in, in St. Louis. And we'll, uh, we'll look for your recap on how things went in Lake Tahoe. Absolutely, Jay. Let's do it. Looking forward to the next one. All right, everybody. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Play the kids. Play the kids. Play the kids. Also, you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.